Our title tonight is simply Repent. Repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 29, reading on to verse 31, please. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he shall judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. We know that the Lord will bless again his own word as it's read in public. Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we can sing what a faithful God of I. And you're always faithful to meet every circumstance and every need. We thank you, Lord, for the day and the hour you came into our lives and made yourself known to us, showed us the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Lord, this evening, as our faces differ, so do our needs. We have come from different circumstances and situations tonight. We have come from different homes and families. Lord, you know everything about us. And we ask you, Lord, Lord, that you would speak to us and help us Lord, that you would draw alongside us and may your word find a lodging place in every heart. Even tonight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. If there's one here that knows not your son, Lord, will you draw them to him and may they come and be saved for time and for eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. We give you thanks. Amen. Verse 30 of our reading says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That is all men everywhere, all men is you, and all men was me and is me to repent. The word repent has become a taboo word. The word repent, many think, should be removed from our vocabulary. Some even think that the word repent should be moved, removed from platforms and from pulpits. That the word repent, repent should be taken out of preaching the gospel and from one-to-one witness, even to remove it from evangelism altogether. Repent has become a dirty word to many in society today. Man has made himself his own God, and man doesn't like to repent. Repentance means that you and I are wrong, and God is always right. And man does not want to repent. Repent has become a six-letter swear word to most people in society in the modern age. Let me look for a moment at the word repent. And I ask you to draw close to me because a lot of people think of it 
and they think of it wrongly. It repels them. It repulses them. But listen as I break it down to the meaning of the word repent. In the Greek New Testament, the word repent is a word metanoio. And metanoio means to think differently. Notice that, to think differently. It also means a change of mind. To think differently and a change of mind. What way is your mind thinking? Is it against God? Is it against the gospel? Is your mind thinking that God is limited? A certain little box you like to frame him into when he's someone you can take out when you want him and put him back when you don't? What way and what frame of mind do you have when you think of Almighty God? Change your mind tonight. What is in your life before Christ? Change your mind tonight. How much, Christian, have you limited Christ for what he can do, being saviour, healer, baptizer, and coming king? We have limited him. We need to repent of that because we limit the Holy One of Israel. We must change our mind. We must think differently when it comes to the things of God. Also the word repent. Speaking of morals, morally, what does it mean to repent? It means to feel compunction. Let me say it again. Morally, it means to feel compunction. Now, what does the word compunction mean? The word compunction means, it means to feel an uneasiness in your own conscience. An uneasiness in your own conscience. A sense of remorse comes into the heart and into the life. So what does it mean then when we say repent means to think differently, to change your mind? It means morally to feel compunction or uneasiness of the conscience. What does moral mean? Someone says to you, you have no morals. We have an idea what they mean. They maybe get up to things you wouldn't, but maybe you'd get up to things someone else wouldn't. What does morals mean? What is it when a man and woman has no morals or a man and woman need to change themselves and their lifestyle? Morals relates to the character and to the conduct of the human life. Now let me say it again. Morals relates to the character and to the conduct of human life. It's that which makes us capable of knowing that which is right and that which is wrong. That is morals. When we look at people and say, they have no morals, you know that it's wrong, or you know that it's right. And it brings our character out. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And listen, Christian, if you're thinking little of yourself, if you're feeling as low as low can be, your morals can be low also. Your self-esteem is low. You sell yourself for what is less than your worth. Now, maybe not even a Christian can do that also. We need a change of mind when it comes to the gospel. We need a repentance of the mind. 
And we need to think differently. That is, our character will be portrayed in our conduct. Our character will be acted out, manifested in our conduct. How is our conduct tonight as we go around our workplace, as we are going in our home? What does our conduct tell us about our character? I leave that with yourself. Our conscience, our morals, and our mind. Listen, our conscience, our morals, and our mind is that which separates us, that is human beings, separates us from the animal kingdom. I want to say it again. I want you to listen to me, and I want you to get it in deep to your heart, into your spirit. Our conscience Our morals and our mind is that which separates us from the animal kingdom. And it elevates us above the animal kingdom. For in Adam we all fell, but Adam was the federal head of creation. And God made man in his own image. Genesis 1, 27 says, God created man in his own image. Yet there are people who will put up animals, who will put up idols, and they will say, this is God. They will say in evolution circles, they will say that we came from monkeys or mud puddles or wherever we're meant to have come from. And that brings God down to the level of animals. Think about that now. And not only does it bring man down to feeling like an animal, with no consciousness of God, but it brings God down in our minds and in people's hearts to the level of an animal. God created man in his own image. Genesis 2 and verse 7 tells us, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. See the term here, the Lord God formed man, it means It gives the idea of a potter taking clay. And he sets it on his wheel. And he distresses the clay. Notice that. He distresses the clay. It means he squeezes it into shape. It gives the idea he molds it as a potter molds the clay. And God took the dust of the ground and he distressed it. He squeezed it. He molded it. He created it and he made man from it. It means he purposed to do so and he determined to do so. Listen, brother, sister, I want you to know something. I want you to know something, friend. You see, when you look in the mirror, you make it up in the morning and one eye seems lower than the other and your hair's all over the place and you might not feel up to much. You might need to get a shower and get on a suit to look presentable. God loves you as you are. You're his creation and he loves you. God formed man. Listen to what it says. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Notice man became a living soul. This gives the idea that not that man has a soul, 
Not that you have a soul. When I say man, we mean man or woman. It means man became a living soul. Man is a soul. Woman, you are a soul. Man, you are a soul. The real you inside that distress clay tonight. You have a soul. The intelligence, the will, the feeling, the intellect is your soul. The real you inside of you. You are a soul. You don't have a soul. You are one. You know what this tells us then? That God and man had communion one with another. He didn't fashion animal the same way. He didn't fashion animal and breathe and have communion with animals. In mankind he breathed life into. And man became. In other words, he put will intelligence, emotion, and thought into that creature. And that man that you are and that woman that you are means you have an accountability with God. The animals don't. Your wee dog at home doesn't. Your cat doesn't. Your budgie doesn't. The elephant doesn't. The crocodile doesn't. Well, look at that in a moment. Now, now think about this. You have an accountability to Almighty God. Listen to this. The Ten Commandments are known as the Ten Moral Commandments. And it means if you look at them, Commandment 1 to Commandment 4, they are God's responsibility or man's responsibility toward God. God and man. God and man. That's what it's about. His accountability. But from, ver- from commandment number 5 to commandment number 10, the next 6 is man to fellow man. Man to fellow man. And God set them down that you and I would be accountable. For example, the Ten Commandments, now Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17, you can read it when you go home. Here's a little synopsis. First of all, the first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There was a young man came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. And he asked the Lord Jesus, what is the first and the great commandment? And Jesus turns to him, answering him and says, that this is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy heart, with all thy mind. Notice, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love one another. Notice the four is in the first and great and the six is man to man. Loving one another. Here we have the Lord saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Can I ask you something? What is the God of your life? Who is the God of your life? Is pleasure-seeking the God of your life? Is your wife or your husband or your children the God of your life? Is your family, your job, your money, your bank account? What or who is the God of your life? Jesus says there should be only one God, and he is the one true living God. The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. That's what the poet said. 
And may we tear every idol that's in our lives down, that separate us from God, that get between you and God, that are takes Christ first place in your life, first place in your family, first place in your home, whether you love it with all your heart. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the love for the Father is not called out from you to him, but rather the world calls out your love to it. It could be your sport. It could be something else. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Secondly, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. All you need to do is tour the countryside and go to certain establishments and you will see idols all over this lot. Little statues. You'll see one of a little Jesus meek in mind in one corner and Mother Mary over in another corner. And the Bible says, I shalt not make any graven images. Neither shall I bow down to them. Now here's the thing I want you to know. When Israel came out of Egypt, they came across the Red Sea and Moses went up into Mount Sinai. And we'll look at this in the next commandment as well. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and the Lord comes, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. We're told that while Moses is up, the people, they start to fret for Egypt and think about Egypt. And they say to, to Aaron, his, his brother, make us a God to go before us for this, Moses. We, we, we must not want what's become of him. Moses isn't coming back. They take their gold and they throw it into a fire. And out of the fire... There happens to just jump a golden calf. Why a golden calf? Because in the mind of the Israelites, they seen the worship of the bull in Egypt. And in the mind of the Israelites, that's whom God was. They fashioned an idol. Do you see the first moment you say tonight, well, I don't think God would judge me. You have just made a God of your own making, man's device, as it says in Scripture. See, the first time you say, well, I don't think God is like that, you have made a God of your own imagination and man's device. And this is what they did. As they walked, they had this device, this imagination of whom God was and whom God was not. And by the time they stopped, they formed a golden calf from their heart, their mouth spoke. What they placed in front of them was what was really in their mind and their heart. That's why they needed to repent. That was a change of mind of whom God is and a change of heart. Be uneasy in the conscience. Who do you think God is tonight? Please don't answer because you might just make an image in your mind. We only know whom God is in the face of Jesus Christ. According to this book, the word of God. We don't know anything else about what he, uh, God unless he reveals it through his spirit and through his word. So think tonight, have I made an image? The third one, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not 
blaspheme or use God's name as a curse word, but it's more than that. Israel at Sinai, as we said, they were to become married unto Jehovah, Exodus 19. Moses officiates the marriage, comes down with the mount, uh, down the mount with the two tablets of stone, and one of them was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know what that means? Israel were the bride. They would become the wife, Jehovah the husband. And when the wife gets married to the husband, or to the bride, to the bridegroom, she takes the bridegroom's name. And what the Lord was saying, if you're becoming mine, live up to my name. That's what it means, taking my name in vain. Live up to my name, he says. And don't drag us through the mud. Christian, Christian. Are you taking the name of the Lord in vain? Are we living up to his name? These are the four. The fourth one is, this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Maybe the next time you're going around Tesco's on the Lord's day, maybe you'll feel uneasy in your conscience. These are the moral code between, the moral accountability between God and man. Then from man to man, I I run through these quickly. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Well, I haven't done that one. Thank the Lord I've kept it. You've hated your brother without cause, your sister. You've just killed him in your heart, the Lord Jesus said. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I haven't done that either. Well, that's good. And we pray that you keep on going on that way. But here's the thing. If you've lusted toward a man or a woman, then you've already committed adultery with him or her in your heart. Thou shalt not steal, taking that which is not yours. Thou shalt not bear false witness, or in other words, against thy neighbor. If you have spoken about someone, your brother, your sister, or your neighbor down the street, and you know you've put your own twist to it, you've got your own ideas about it, then you have just broken this commandment also. That means thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or wife, man, servant, and so on, is the next one. And you know what it means? It gives the idea of someone sitting jealous over what someone else has got. Listen, I see a lovely car going up the street and I could never afford it in a million years. I can tell you something. I go, I would love one of those. But when it drives up the street, I don't go, I gotta get one, I gotta get one, I have to have it and stomp my feet. If God chooses to bless me with it, thank you, Lord. Here's why I'm telling you this. This was man's accountability to man all under God. Every one of us, that's from me to you, have failed. If anyone has kept all of these ten commandments, please now raise your hand if you've kept them. For all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. Do you know what that makes every man and woman outside of Christ? 
That makes us idolaters. That makes us that we have taken the Lord's name in vain and rubbished his name. Sabbath breakers. We have dishonored our fathers and our mothers. We have killed in our hearts, committed fornication in our hearts. We have stolen when we have taken things that are not our own. We have borne false witness and lied. And also we have coveted, I want, I want, I want. And I ask you, if you stand before God like that, where do you think you're going? <laughs> you're going to hell. So the Lord says to mankind, repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Maybe you're holding something that's precious to you. Brother, friend, sister, change your mind and give it to Christ. Let me go on. The commandments, as I said, are moral, having a conscience, a conscience of these things, the rights and the wrongs. And here's where I want to, it's going to get a little bit difficult for me. Well, not for me, maybe for someone in here. Here's where it's going to get a little bit um, contentious. I want to let you know that an animal has no conscience. And an animal has no morals. An animal, a dog, for example, has no morals or consciousness of God's holiness, nor of his holy days. Not holy days, holy days. An animal has no morals of God's name. An animal doesn't feel guilty when it kills. Look at a lion killing a deer. It doesn't feel guilty. It doesn't sit after and go, I feel so bad I killed that wee deer. It doesn't do that. You know why? Because it has no conscience. It has no morals. don't want to be explicit, but listen to this. An animal, i.e. say a dog, has no morals when it comes, when it sees another dog, it will either fight on the street without conscience, it will fornicate and mate on the street without conscience, even a pack street, it will defecate on the street, it will urinate in the street and think nothing of it. Peter and Jude speak about men who are like brute beasts. He says they're down to the level of animals. We see this sexual immorality on our streets. Just go by a nightclub some night at the weekend. Go around the corner where they think they're hiding and they're on another road. Young women are naked in our streets, vomiting, drugged, and drunk on our streets with other young men copulating with them. They're debasing themselves and coming down to the level of what an animal does in the street. We even look at the vulgarity of language and dress. We look at the homosexual, vulgar pride displays in our cities and in our towns and in our streets. Going up those roads, they are showing a vile disgrace to humanity when they're up those streets with no conscience or morals. I'll get into trouble for saying that. 
I don't care. It's true. Men and women are debasing humanity. You know something? See, when you tell someone that they come from a monkey long enough, they start to act like one. I want to tell you something tonight. You come in the image of God, and he loves you. He loves you. And if you're getting on, and forgive me, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular tonight in here, but this is for the record, and you know your heart, and I know mine, but God knows every heart. If you're acting like an animal, it's time you got out of the gutter and trusted in Christ. The word is repent. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Have a turnaround. Think differently. Have a moral compunction. And may the word of God relate to your character and to your conduct. Because man never evolved. Man was created by the great creator God. That's my introduction. It's all right. I'll not be long. Paul is in Athens in our reading. And he sees graven images and idols everywhere. And he comes to one that's an altar to the unknown God. It's said that there were more idols than what there were people. And it's the altar to the unknown God. That's just in case they forgot to worship someone and he got angry with them. I want you to know that God is angry at sin but loves you. He comes across two sets of people. One are the Epicureans, who mostly were atheists, but one of the sect believed in spiritual afterlife, some sort of mystical, airy-fairy hogwash that we hear even today from Spiritus. But they also taught the, the pleasure. Notice, pleasure was man's chief end, and peace is only found in pleasure. In other words, they went partying, They had drunken sexual orgies. They lived for it. They had no conscience of a right living or a wrong living before the one true living God. They got on like brute beasts. They got on like animals. The other group Paul came across were the Stoics and they believed they should be absolutely brave. The stiff upper lip, as it were, and they believed in the supreme, a supremacy of the rational over the emotional in man. In other words, God could never move all men because they were so stiff-necked. They believed also in some sort of afterlife. They were what's known as pantheistic in their view. They believed God was in the flowers and in the trees and in the plants and all this sort of stuff. They believed God was a a world spirit. And when they die, they'll join this world spirit. Oh, how lovely and flurry and and cotton wool balls and puffy it would be. eh? What sort of an afterlife is that? This is what they believed. And so Paul comes right into the middle of it. And Paul reads, and we read that Paul says in second, or sorry, excuse me, in Acts chapter 17, 
And in verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, ought, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Paul turns to them and this is what he says. He says, Epicureans and Stoics and all who would listen unto me. The word Godhead there doesn't speak of personality. It speaks of divinity and deity. He says, don't think that the deity is found in stone and in wood. This is your imagination. It's man's device, he says. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth. Notice, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He says, change your mind. Think differently. May God take a dealing in your life. The word here, God commandeth all, th- all men everywhere to repent, is a word parangalo. Parangalo comes from two words. One, para, which means alongside of. Alongside of. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the paracletus, one who has comes or called alongside of in order to help us in our infirmities. Para, alongside of. Angelo gives the idea of someone coming to another up face to face or mouth to ear and whispers, transmits a message. Paul is saying the true, the one true living God is not like this. He's not who you think. He's not your device and your imagination. He's not in these idols. He says, but oh, today, glory to God, he has come. But now he comes alongside of you and he speaks into your ear the gospel of grace. We have all failed, but thank God for the gospel of his saving grace. Unmerited favor. Let me give you a few examples. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 6, the Lord Jesus has just fed the multitude. We commonly know it, the feeding of the 5,000. The word commandeth here. Let me just... Open this up for you a little. It says, He commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took seven loaves and gave thanks. The word he commanded here is the same word. It gives the idea of he came, he stood before them himself. Think about that. Christ himself. He came, he stood before them himself. And all of the crowd, hungry with bellies rumbling, Tired and thirsty with the heat of the day. Jesus comes and gives him the command. He says, sit down. Trust in me and I will feed you. (laughs) Now Jesus, how can you do that? You have nothing to give us. Well, there's a a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. (laughs) Well, sure, that'll hardly feed him. Never mind us. And he comes and he says to them, in person, trust me. I'm more than able to meet your need. 
Trust him tonight. For he's more than able to meet your need. It's more how big there is. He's bigger than your need. His supply is endless. The riches of his grace. He came alongside to transmit a message. And listen, we're told they sat down and he fed them. Their obedience to listening to the word of God brought the blessing. Oh, if we were just here as he comes alongside us and he speaks to our ears tonight, if we were to obey his word, the blessing of God would come. He feeds them. He meets them where they are, the point of their need. He gives them a miracle because that's what they needed. Do you need a miracle? He still does miracles. He's a miracle-working God. Acts chapter 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Here he is about to ascend into heaven. He tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait there until you be endued with power from on high. He commands them. He comes personally, resurrected, appears before them when they think, where is Jesus? Where has he gone? Is he going to show? Suddenly Christ comes and he speaks to them face to face, his mouth through their ear, and he says, go and wait for the promise. You know why? Because when the Father gives us a promise, the Father keeps his promise. They go and they wait. He came alongside to transmit a message and their obedience brought blessing for their obedience moved the Spirit of God. Baptized in the Holy Ghost. Day of Pentecost. Acts 17 and 30. Paul says, But now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands you. God comes alongside of you. Listen for his voice tonight. Listen carefully. He comes with his mouth to your ear. And whatever you're thinking, I'm thinking wrong. I'm thinking bad. I'm thinking stupid. I'm stinking thinking. And he comes and he says, change your thinking. It's going to be okay. Change your thinking. I can meet your need. But Lord, I'll never keep this salvation either. He says, Change your thinking. I'll keep you. I'll keep you. It's called the perseverance of the saints. I better move on for the time has flown nearly already. Let me round this up a little. Preaching the word. God has been long suffering. And he's waited. Paul says, but at your ignorance... In other words, you didn't realize what you were doing. God can wink at that. Not that God will pardon the unjust, for all the ungodly will stand before him. But he said, now you're hearing the truth. Now it's time you changed. He commandeth, he says you. The word command also comes from a root word, paragenomahi. It's not a big word, it's like marmalade, that one. It's hard to get your, your, your mouth around that one. Now listen to this. Know what it means to approach. For someone has arrived to be present. 
gives the idea that he comes and he's here tonight in the power of his spirit and he approaches you. It's like someone important coming and they were waiting recently at the Diamond Jubilee for Her Majesty the Queen. And when she come, everybody stood straight. People waved the flags and they shouted and they cheered for joy for the Queen had arrived. Listen, that's what it gives the idea. Tonight should be the greatest moment of your life that Christ has brought you here and he has arrived. Spoken to you. Gives the idea to be used with great intensity. Change your mind and change your thinking. What does Christ need to do to shout to you? Change your mind. Is there someone here and you were so low you didn't think you are going to recover? The Lord says to you, change your mind. Change your thinking. I love you. So give me another five minutes, won't you? Repent. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, the Lord Jesus, it says of him that, that he comes and he preaches and says, the time is fulfilled. What time is fulfilled? <laughs> I'll tell you about that in our time. That's Bible prophecy. The time is fulfilled. That's Daniel's 69 weeks is fulfilled. This is his baptism after it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind and start believing. Change your mind and believe in the gospel. Here's another one. Listen. Peter on the day of Pentecost. Second, second chapter of Acts, verse 38 Peter cries, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Someone once said, this is the grand blessing of the new covenant. He says, change your mind. Stop worshiping in the synagogue. Stop worshiping in that temple, for it will be destroyed soon. Stop worshipping idols and false gods and change your thinking. Change your mind. Be baptized in Jesus' name and he will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. Here's the thing, brother and sister, for you and me. You and I are not to be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, we are to repent in our mind of the way we think, of the things we do. In other words, when we pray and we don't believe in that the Lord will heal that person, we are to change our mind. He's a wonder-working God. Be transformed according to the word of God. Acts 17 and 30, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. What man? The one who fulfilled the time, Daniel chapter 9. The one who confirmed and ratified the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, that is the covenant of his precious shed blood. The one Peter preached about and baptized in his name. The one who gave gifts unto men when he ascended in high, the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
He is going to judge the world by that man. The judge, that man, Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God. And this I finished. Listen to this. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not, not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But his long-suffering, he winked out in other words, he's given you a space of grace, a chance. But he winked out, long-suffering to usward. Listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should have a change of mind. And a conscience before God. The Ten Commandments are not written in stone. They're written on your heart. Listen, we were at Scarver on the 13th. We had the big banners up. And our alley, the wee one, she disappears. 100,000 people. My heart's going in my chest. And I don't like her too far from me. And I start looking for her everywhere. And I search that field up and down. And the fear of what could happen. And you're thinking the worst things. By the time I walked, I found her at the farthest part of that field. Oh boy, when I seen her, the relief of it. And I thought, wow, she's okay. Thank you, Lord. And I walked over to her, tapped her on the shoulder. My look said it all. And I went, get up now. <laughs> That's all I said. And she went into pieces. See, before that says, don't you go far from me. Stay there. Play about around where we are. Don't go far. It was in her heart and it was in her mind. But when I came and said, what are you doing here? You don't have, well, maybe you do. We don't have a set of rules and regulations on our kitchen fridge. You might have chores, but you don't have rules and regulations. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, you don't. You love your children. They reverence you and they fear you in that sense. They respect you. But you know what it is? You don't have it written on the fridge. You don't care if it's written on the fridge. They'll see it on the fridge and go and do something else. But when it's in the heart, when it's in the heart, they carry it. And they do it because they love you. Such is the commandments of God. We don't live in an open course of sin. And we sin and fail every single day. I'll say it again. Maybe this time you'll shout amen. Lord, thank you for your grace. The word repentance is similar to metanoia. It means that all men come with a compunction. There's that word again. It means that all men will be reformed. I'm a reformer. You all know that anyhow. Thomas Watson says, the old Puritan, I want you to think of this, and this is it. By delay of repentance, sin strengthens. And the heart hardens. The longer ice freezeth, the harder it is to be broken. Maybe God's been speaking to you. Change your mind. Change your thinking. And your thinking reacts with a compunction in your heart. And your heart is regenerated and changed. 
Friend, if you do not heed the voice of God, the longer you leave it, the harder it will be for that habit, that lifestyle to be broken. So repent. Our nation needs to repent. May God bless his word tonight to all of our hearts. Your attention has been tremendous. Thank you for your attention and for your attendance. God bless you. I don't know about you, but I'm punctured. <laughs> I'm punctured. Look, say this before you go home. You know, don't, know what I done last week, and I told you I have to watch for this week. I forgot to lift the offering. Usually you lift it before. I hate doing it after the word. We're going to have to do it, but I apologize to you. I forgot all about it. Tonight, in about another hour and a half, I'm going to be on an interview on the radio. Shine FM are going to come down. I'll have to go down to them. I'll be on an interview about the big tent event. <laughs> so you can pray for me. I have to be there for 9 o'clock. And so it's been a long day, but sure it's great to serve the Lord, isn't it? God bless you. Let's have a different attitude about the Lord, about his service, and about loving him. And let's come in to every meeting ready to say, Lord, I'm here. My attitude is to praise your name and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ.